Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello, uh, I'm Peter Hart. And I'm with uh, Gary Bain. Uh, I'm always with Gary Bain. Is it see. Christmas? No, it's not Christmas. That's another three weeks. But uh, yes, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> yes, I'll be just taking these decorations down. So anyway, um, here we are at my gaff and looking at that plus that mighty oak of a tree. <laughs> to two foot six plastic. Yeah. Um, and what we're doing today, because we, 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 we've been doing the 16th Durham Light Infantry uh, all through the Second World War. It's been, for me, our finest ever, our best ever series, coincidentally, just at the time my book came out on, uh, what was the book on? 16th DLI at War? Footsloggers. Footsloggers. Yeah, I hope you've all bought that. doesn't seem like you have. <laughs> Price is reduced at the moment on Amazon. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Was Bargain. That, was that not our book that was reduced? And yours. Yeah. Uh, right, so what are we doing? Where are we up to in the story? I, I, I remember they were in Italy. They were going across valleys and rivers and, and hills and ridges. And Where are they now? What's happening? Well, there, there's a clue in the title because today, Pete, it's the 16th DLI Grecian Odyssey. Is that some sort of hair product? <laughs> Grecian 2000. I, I don't need Grecian 2000. Do you know why? Because you've got no hair. <clears throat> That's right. Right. Anyway, let's get back to the podcast. Oh, then the, the first bit. Let, let's not pretend we know out about the first bit because we're going to set the background, aren't we? Yeah. So this is uh, uh, in a not so far away country. Something was stirring. We're doing a lot of purple prose lately. <laughs> I do enjoy a bit of purple prose. Now, the Greek People's Liberation Army. Oh. That's like the People's Front of Judea. <laughs> it is. Um, uh, ELAS, I think we'll go for ELAS. ELAS, yeah. That was the paramilitary body of the Communist Controlled National Liberation Front, or EAM, EAM. Uh, and it had been at the very heart of resistance since the German invasion in April 1941. Yeah, so, but that, so you've got ELAS and EAM, they're the Greek Communist Party and, and other left wing parties. Uh, are they on their own? I think that would be unfair to say they're on their own. No, no, no. I mean, it's a national struggle and they were joined in that struggle by more moderate and non-political elements. Yeah, we, we normally call these right-wingers. 
Yeah, now resistance <laughs> operations against the Germans began in June 1942, but were greatly boosted when officers of the British Special Operations Executive, or uh, SOE, parachuted in. <laughs> now, what, what, what is their role? What, what, what are they doing? Because there's not many of them, are there? You know. No, no, they were there to assist in attacks on rail routes, while at the same time promoting cooperation between ELAS and the right-wing National Republican Greek lead, or EDES. Now, EDES was far more palatable to the British, but ELAS was the more popular and powerful grouping. And uh, beggars cannot be choosers. So the the British were actively training ELAS uh, and arranged for supplies to them. Uh, And uh, how would you say ELAS progressed during the years, well, say 42, 43? Well, they grew in popularity and their guerrilla bands had considerable success launching raids from their hiding places in the mountainous regions. Now, there was, it's becoming evident that that the Allies are going to win the war. Now, uh, as we all know, communists are peace-loving and never cause any trouble. How did the uh, ELAS celebrate this, uh, this, this international brotherhood moment? Well, they began an internecine warfare. Well, <laughs> you said internecine, right? With EDES, which simmered in the background throughout 1944. Now, by this time, ELAS numbered over 50,000 partisans, and in conjunction conjunction with EM... That's a political wing, yeah. As opposed to EDAM, which is a cheese, uh, had the potential to create a Greek government capable of rivalling not only the puppet government set up by the Germans in Athens but also the official government, which was in exile, residing in Cairo. How many governments can one country have? Now, um, the, the, by this time, the British are more confident in victory, and, and so uh, they're not beggars uh, anymore. Uh, they, they, they can choose which side. So uh, who do they choose? Well, they give free reign to the, uh, to the government's preference of the monarchist elements within EDES, with the ultimate aim of returning the Greek government in exile, which was led by Prime Minister Georgius Papandreou uh, to Athens. Right, so this is duly achieved. Uh, Papandreou arrives in Athens in October '44 and forms a government of national unity. Uh, he's accompanied by some Greek army units and British forces, lovely British forces, under the command of Lieutenant General Sir Ronald Scobie. Um, how does it go at first? This reminds me a bit of Northern Ireland, this next bit. Carry on. Yeah, well, that's because many of the ELAS forces still saw the British as liberators from the hated Germans. But uh, this gratitude coexisted with a natural suspicion as to the motivations of the British Empire. I think we've heard that before. I thought everybody loved the British Empire. I think everybody's uh, suspicious of their motivations. The French certainly were. Would, would, the, would the words perfidious Albion spring to your mind? No, because I wouldn't have ever thought of them. Now, a major trigger for the fighting that followed was Papandreou's orders for all partisan forces not under his command to completely disarm. Now, this this is un- I think this is un- I have to say I think this is unreasonable. Uh, Elas naturally con- and they rightly consider it would render them uh, 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 defenceless in, in what could be for Elas is a hostile world. Uh, um, so, so what do ELAS propose? Well, they propose a compromise involving mutual disarmament by all partisan forces, which uh, was uh, rejected. Now, I, I think that's... I, I don't think that's wrong. Do you? No, and I don't think that, that it should have necessarily not have been considered, but an ultimatum was issued that ELAS should disarm by the 10th of December. So, this... I mean... <laughs> 
this just so much reminds me of various things in our past. To, to write it on the wall, uh, the EAM, that's the political wing of ELAS, they're, they're, or th you can look at it the other way, the, the other one's the military wing, but they're, they, they're, 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 the ministers that are serving in Papandreou's National Unity Government promptly resign. Well, that'll help, won't you? So what, what happens then? What, what always happens when... I mean, you can see now this is going into something where uh, the, it, 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 there's going to be... Our reaction. Going to be trouble. Aye, at Mill. Aye. Aye. Now, this was followed by calls for a general strike and the organisation of a huge protest demonstration in Athens on the 3rd of December. Now, this was big, at least 200,000, although we all know <laughs> you can't count demonstrations, but 200,000 people were reputed to have attended and they marched through through the city uh, heading for the centre. Uh, and uh, who gets in their way? Which, which mugs seem to get in the way of things? Uh, it was impeded by British soldiers and tanks. Uh, and uh, again, this reminds me of Northern Ireland. What happens next? Well, there's controversy over who fired the first shots. Many believe it was the work of the Greek police, many of whom had been collaborators with the Germans and thus had no love for ELAS. It's estimated that some 28 demonstrators were killed and hundreds injured. Now, this is then seen that the ELAS, who... I'm still, I'm, I'm struggling with some of this. Uh, they do turn into baddies, but at the moment I'm struggling with what's going on. Uh, they're portrayed fairly or unfairly, depending on your political perspective. And I think my political perspective, whatever it is, may be peeping through at times. Uh, they're, they're perceived as having launched a coup d'etat. Uh, now, this is where the British can't, can't let this go. Why not? Well, they've got no intention of allowing a communist regime to be established in Greece. In essence, we can now see the conflict that followed as the first sort of proxy war of the Cold War. Yeah. Now, uh, British reinforcements had already been called for. And who were these masked men who were called for? Well, some, uh, part of it was uh, 139th Brigade, and they were one of the first. And the 16th DLI and the 2nd 5th Leicesters were both sent to Athens, while the 5th Foresters were dispatched to Salonika. Now, the main body of Durham, so they fly out on Dakotas. Now, this is incredibly rare. Why is it rare? I don't know. The word fly. This is an air transport. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. For the first, the, it, for it's first time for Durham. So they've always yeah, gone yeah, yeah, Sobieski, they've gone on boats. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, this is quite unusual. And, and, and they, 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 they go to Athens, so, um, 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 now, uh, where they land at, uh, uh, where is it? Kalamaki Airport. Uh, well, and when do they land? 3rd of December. That's the, the 1944. day. 1944. That's the day of the big demo. So uh, uh, it, it's the first time most of them had ever flown because no one flew on their foreign holidays then, did they? Did well, you I was just going to point out the first time I flew uh, was in 1979 when I flew to Germany. First time I flew was about 1998. <laughs> I thought airplanes were dangerous. I never understood how they stayed up in the air. I still don't. Now, changing the subject back, as they arrived, George Bland seemed to have caught sight of one of the protests, which was, you pointed out, were happening that day. And this is Private George Bland of the Carrier Platoon Support Company. It was a Sunday morning and there were thousands of them coming along the coast road. They were chanting, a demonstration like. We had a bloke called Lieutenant General Scobie that was in charge and they were coming along shouting. I was saying to myself, what are they saying? They were saying... Scobie is a bastard. Scobie, Scobie is, is a bastard. bastard. La, 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 la. Chanting like that. 
I think that the royalists that wanted the king back were in a minority, or if they weren't, they didn't dare say anything. Now, the 16th BLI, uh, 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 DLI, got me letters wrong, they're initially based at various police stations around Athens. Uh, it's a tense situation because of that outbreak of violence, the shooting on third, during that third... They're not involved in that, I want to make that clear. But uh, the, the shooting did take place. And what, what, what's happening? What is overall happening? Again, the echoes of Northern Ireland. Well, it's sporadic fighting which is occurring between the ELAS guerrillas and the Greek police. But at first, the British were mere bystanders. They get, Gradually, dragged, they get dragged in, don't they? They are. It's first a few snapshots of Snipers, them. the odd, yeah. Yeah, then a somewhat clumsy retaliation, more shooting until the situation spirals out of control. And one example of this was witnessed by Tony Sacco, and that's signaler Tony Sacco of A Company. We were going up the main street in Athens. There was a crowd of people there. We pulled up. Next thing I knew, Major Casey got out and demanded this gun from this chap. Give me that gun. This chap started to scream. And as soon as he started screaming, the whole crowd came round us. We just got round the corner. And there was this window up above the first story. That window went up. And there's this man sitting with a great big old type Vickers machine gun with a man at either side of him. He was screaming at us and we were in the back of this truck only about 20 yards ago, 20 yards away. He had this gun on us. We were shouting, give him his pistol back. (laughs) But Major Casey didn't want to lose face. Oh, dear. I thought, well, I'm not going to sit and take it. There's only four or five of us in the back of the truck. I got out of the back of that truck three-tonner in slow motion. No hasty moves. There was a guard, there was a yard with a gate recessed, and I got uh, I got undercover doing everything in slow motion. He's trying not to be threatening. Uh, in the end, I used some bad language to Major Casey. He gave him his pistol back, and the crowd started to cheer. And you could see. That could have been a flashpoint. That that if he if anything had gone wrong, that machine gun could have opened up and they'd have been dead. Yeah, recognizing that the overall situation was deteriorating, the British reorganized, pulling the 16th DLI back from Athens to join Block Force. Who was that named after? Well, it's named after Brigadier Allen Block uh, in the Piraeus area, along uh, alongside the Second Fifth Leicesters, a squadron of tanks and some RAF armored cars. Now, as the trucks drove down the narrow streets, they passed along one where the Elas and the Greek police are, are fighting. Uh, and all they could do is just accelerate and hope they got through. Uh, and they did. Um, how did the Elas react as they whizzed past? Well, it was a mixture of cheery waves <laughs> and isolated shots. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Bang. Now, many of the Durhams were still dubious about their rolling. Why? Course. Well, they were aware that the uh, Elas had taken a major part in fighting the mutual enemy, the Germans, with all the painful sacrifices and losses that that entailed. Well, now it seemed that the Elas were the enemy. And, and do you know what? It didn't seem quite well uh, uh, to, 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 to these lads. Uh, remember, they're, they're working class lads. And by this time, the British army is pretty left wing. I mean, you, you, you know what happens in the election just a, six months later. Uh, and it's not helped by gangs of Elas supporters. And they're shouting slogans which, which would appeal to many of them. Well, give me an example. Liberty and justice. We want freedom. And that classic, down with the fascist scoby. <laughs> 
Now, Ronald Elliott was one of those that were concerned, and this is Private Ronald Elliott of A Company. He's a signal, yeah, that's right. All of the army by that time was pretty well socialist. Everyone was of the view that the Conservatives were to blame for all sorts of ills that we had had in the war. The general level of the economy. Even though I think people admired Churchill for his ability to lead the country, his politics were completely suspect. He was Conservative and was blackened with the rest of the Conservatives. We felt what the government was trying to do in Greece was to restore the monarchy, which we also surmised was really not what the people wanted, but it was just going to be imposed upon them. In the beginning, there was a fair amount of favourable feeling towards this insurgency. Now, you might think, oh, well, what are they going to do about it? But although they're not regular soldiers, you know, they have had a lot of experience the army this time and that they do what they're told to do what they're because it's not told is it no and and they have to like all soldiers put their personal inclinations to one yeah. side so they're ordered to do something they've got to do it and they do do it now what so what where are they based they're down they're down by the the port uh, leicester's in piraeus itself uh while the durhams take up defensive positions strung out along the seafront and what was their job Well, they're tasked with keeping open the coastal road, uh, which stretched back to Athens. The first proper skirmish occurred when Lieutenant T.C. Perriam of C Company encountered a group of Elas attempting to set up a roadblock. Ah, well, that would stop the road, wouldn't it? It would. (laughs) So both sides opened fire and the obstruction was removed, with some casualties reported to have been inflicted, uh, particularly on Elas. Yeah, yeah. The situation calms down for a couple of days, but the, the, there's quite a lot of Elas sniping, and it's starting to be not so much fired in your general direction as hitting people. Yeah. And what, who's one of the first to die? Well, it was a popular officer, Lieutenant Frank Johnson, who was shot on the 8th of December and died the next day. And this is one of our, our favourites. This is Lieutenant Russell Collins of Carrier Platoon. There were a few of us who were quite musical, and we used to sing in the mess in the evening just for fun. We used to sing in little quartets. Hymn tunes were about all we knew. Frank Johnson was one of four of us. Ronnie Sherlaw was another. Gift Footer and myself. Poor old Frank went out to try and sort out somebody. And one of the Elas snipers got him. A very dear friend indeed. Yeah, never forgot him. Because, that you know, he's an old man when he did that interview. And, you know. Uh, 9th of December, a local truce is established. Uh, and Alan Hay, uh, Major uh, 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 Alan Hay and Sherlaw are, uh, are uh, part of this. Um, and uh, this is this is what uh, I think this is Alan Hay. I've got it down as Ronnie Sherlaw, but I actually think it's uh, uh, Alan Hay. I'll, I'll check that later. But it, it doesn't matter. It's an officer. He says this. I was lucky in recruiting a girl who had excellent English. She put me in touch with the, the chap who was the leader of the Elas in that area. He said that if we would agree not to shoot at them, he would agree not to shoot at us for a period of a week when we could perhaps come to some terms. I said I wasn't in a position to do that sort of thing, but I would have a word with the colonel. The colonel agreed that we should have a local armistice. Every morning for about three days, I'd start at this bottom end of Falloran. I would take out my pistol and put it on the ground. The Elas leader, he would put his gun down. We'd walk up and shake hands. We had about three days of peace. Then on the third night, the Elas broke the peace and attacked one of my platoon and in fact killed somebody. So that ended the peace. We were very fed up about it. 
Hmm, I'm not surprised. Uh, they, 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 you see dislikes starting to creep in but from both sides. Yeah, and just think about that. That, that was the 9th of December. The, Frank wouldn't have died, perhaps, if it was during that three-day piece. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just fate, really, isn't it? It is. Now, the breakdown of the truth was preceded by intelligence that Elas were planning an imminent attack. On the 13th of December, full-blown hostilities recommenced. Firstly, during the day, a couple of brain carriers were shot up, causing three casualties. But that's not the real attack. That's going to happen at night. And uh, the, 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 the army, they're watching out. They, the, the, they can see, the 16th, rather, they can see movements in the surrounding streets. Uh, they, they can tell that the attack was due. And most of the uh, battalion went on to high alert, standing to, ready for immediate action. Was that everybody? Well, there seems to have sadly been one platoon that was accepted in B Company and Private James Corps of B Company tells us the story. One night, the sergeant major came to us. He said, right, you are. We're going, to, we're going out to Lieutenant Whitwell's billet. I've heard word there's going to be an attack and I want to warn him. By this time, it was about half past ten at night, so it was dark. We went in front of our barrier, very careful to go to his house. They were to the left of us, about 50 yards in front of the barrier, in a little side street. The first house on the right was a big house, and they were all in there. We, we go in, and all we could hear was the piano playing and drunken singing. I'll never forget the song this lad was singing. He fired a paper doll to call my own. Sounds like a classic. The sergeant major bustled his way in and there was the lieutenant as drunk as a kitty cat. Honestly, he was. He was paralytic. They got some vino and they were all drunk. No guards on the door. The sergeant major tried to get some sense into them, but he couldn't. And at the finish, the lieutenant ordered him away. He came back and he said, well, I've done my best. We manned the barriers all night. And sure enough, there was an attack and the house he was in was... Lieutenant Whitwell, it, it was blown up. The lieutenant got taken prisoner with a full platoon in the house, all drunk. Now, uh, now this is interesting because that's oral history. And uh, how is this reported in, uh, in uh, the 16th DLI War Diary and in the subsequent battalion history by Laurie Stringer? Well, <laughs> here there's a heroic tale of a desperate fight against a ferocious mob who were held at bay until the defenders had run out of ammunition, at which point Elas managed to place an explosive charge against the front door, blowing it open and then rushing the building. Which do you believe? Uh, oh, the, the uh, war diary, obviously. Uh, innocent Gary, they used to call you, didn't they? Yeah, amongst other things. Now, uh, uh, now uh, the most serious uh, attack, the most serious attack, came on the uh, on that night on the 13th of the night of the 13th of December uh, it wasn't there really it was made on the battalion headquarters at about 1400 now colonel dennis worrell he was briefly away so who's in charge well it's major jc denny we've not heard much about him have we no while major alan hay was temporarily standing in as second in command that's why i think it was him in that previous quote and this is major alan hay of the headquarters company we then came under very heavy attack these people were shouting. It was just a rabble. I put what men I could find in open positions. We were firing from the windows, but we were getting casualties. So we got up onto the flat roof because there was a little more protection. There was this parapet you could keep behind. So unless they had mortars, they couldn't catch us. 
We could hear them hammering and knocking. There were so many, and we really couldn't disperse them because the angles for rifle fire from the top were really too acute, and they were down underneath. But I had four grenades, so I had to wait until enough of these Elas guerrillas came into view before I hurled a grenade. They didn't charge, but they were creeping forward when they thought our firing had died down because we didn't have much to fire at them. We didn't know how many at that time, but there was an awful lot, hundreds. They were all raging and shouting, a real mob. They were going to drive us into the sea. I waited and waited and then threw another grenade. These people were screaming and shouting. They were going to blow us up. There was this hammering going on down below. Then an explosion went off. The whole of the outside of the flats collapsed, just like a cardboard box. The outer floors collapsed. We were a bit further back. I was stunned by some masonry. I, I can't have had my tin hat on because I had a gash across my head. Then they charged, but they were just making a noise. I don't think they were effective in anything. White flags appeared shortly from the mob and they wanted to collect their wounded. By this time it was getting towards morning. They came with barrows and bits of sheet with red crosses painted on them to get their dead and wounded. I would think that casualties there could have been about a hundred. We didn't have any casualties except the sergeant cook and some others who were buried in the rubble and we had to get them out. They were all right. They had cuts and bruises. I think I was the worst with a gash across the top of my head. And, you know, again, you get an idea. I don't believe it was 100 dead or dead wounded, but you could see the balance of the casualties would be definitely in favour of the Durhams that day. Yeah, and daylight brought a sort of relative calm, but it had certainly been a night to remember. It was also evident that Elas must have suffered severe casualties, with subsequent reports of 36 dead and 60 wounded. Shortly afterwards, Dennis Worrell returned, and Alan Hay was posted to command A Company. And uh, I think at this point we'll take a short break to, uh, to just co- consider our role within society. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. By this time, the Durhams had become cynical as to the nature of the insurgency tactics practiced by the Elas guerrillas who'd been used to fighting an enemy, the Germans, who did not acknowledge any rules of warfare in dealing with civilians. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, they'd learnt to seek an, any advantage they could in conflict situations. Now, that led to them adopting many methods which, to the British eyes, were cowardly. And again, are you getting echoes of Northern Ireland here? I, know, I, mean, I shouldn't say echoes, because, of course, Northern Ireland hasn't happened. But you, you can see... Uh, and this is what Private Ronald Elliot, remember, he was very, pro, well, not very, but he was pro-ELAS at the start. What does he say? The <clears throat> ELAS tended to use women. They would have women coming along the street, just as though they were housewives having a demonstration, followed by armed men behind using the women as a shield, or even having children around so you couldn't fire at them. It got very dirty in that sense. As will always happen in these situations, the soldiers' attitude changed from being politically favourable to being militarily against them, because they weren't playing particularly fair. Before very long, it was just that they were them and we were us. It was just a combat situation. I mean, one of the biggest things is it's really difficult to tell who their enemies are. Uh, <clears throat> one Greek looks pretty much like another to their eye, uh, to, you know... If you're looking at them, you can't say, oh, that Greek's a, a, an Elas. Uh, uh, and, and did the Elas wear uniform? Well, never. Very no. few. Very few. All right, very few. Now, this is, again, Private Ronald Elliot. We're charting this man's disillusion with uh, his uh, political principles here. There was always this problem of knowing who they were. If someone shot at you, you shot back at him although people were quite glad to be away from the main battlefront, and certainly it wasn't as hard as fighting the Germans. There were aspects of it that people felt uneasy about. Your average infantryman, one of the first questions that you ask when you go into a new battle position is, which way is the front? So that you know, if the worst comes to the worst, which way you can go to get out to the bloody place. Now, in this sort of urban battlefront, it's all around you, and one feels somewhat unhappy about that, because there's no clear-cut way out. Fighting amongst houses was not really the sort of warfare that we've been used to. When you were in uh, in, in in the army and in a in a German bar beer keller, would you uh, always want to know the way out? <laughs> I'd always want to know where the toilet was, frankly. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, in these circumstances, there was a natural fear of mistakes and killing innocent civilians, but they were also aware that any hesitation could lead to their own deaths or capture. And, and this is a telling quote from Corporal Tommy Chadwick of C Company. We tried to avoid real civilians, but people don't pay a lot of attention to that. 
Oh, I've got to be truthful. I mean, you wouldn't deliberately shoot a civilian, but if there's any doubt in your mind, that it, then it's better to be safe than sorry. And he had let fly. And I think that's, um, that's uh, t- very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's a really difficult period for the Durhams. However, reinforcements in the shape of elements from the 4th Indian Division were beginning to arrive to tip the balance in favour of the British. And then on 15th of December, Lieutenant General Sir John Hawksworth, we remember him, their old divisional commander in 46th Division, arrives to take over command of all the British forces in Greece. So what happens next? On the 18th of December, the 16th DLI began clearing the streets and houses in front of them, slowly edging their way forwards day by day towards the main railway line to Athens. Now, this was a difficult business in the narrow streets. However, the next quote is ludicrous, uh, isn't it? Uh, uh, this is it. Why do I like this quote? Well, it's, it's because Chadwick, Corporal Chadwick, watched with some amusement when the august figure of Company Sergeant Major Les Thornton launched a one-man offensive. Now, why would he have done that? Well, this is what Tommy Chadwick says. One night, I saw Les was a bit tipsy, (laughs) for want of another word. He decided to go and settle the war himself, so he ups and waltzes down this street, firing at everything he saw. Some of these Elas chaps were on the rooftops, firing from behind chimney pots. How he wasn't shot that night, I will never know. He was fated. He ultimately came back, and Major Casey was waiting for him. He said, I want you. Les said, I've been carrying out my duties, sir, a one-man fighting patrol. I have nothing to report, sir. Although I suspect he slurred his words. But it could be a deadly serious business. An Elas sniper could lurk anywhere, and they weren't all bad shots. On the 24th of December, William Cohen's witnessed a small tragedy, and this is Sergeant William Cohen's of C Company. One afternoon, we were trying to clear this house, and I lost two chaps killed. We entered, uh, a, we encountered a sniper. He had a flat roof hiding place. We were in gardens about 50 yards away. I told Lance Corporal O'Brien to keep his section down in the garden next door. I came to the other side and I told Lance Sergeant Philipson to keep his men down. I was in the middle garden, but half an hour after, one of the Lance Corporals came back and said Lance Corporal O'Brien had been shot through the head. He got up to talk to one of the lads and the snipers had shot him through the head. I crept through next door, and there he was, poor devil. Somebody had put a cape over the top of him. He was a nice lad. About an hour after, another young lad called Chuck Harvey got shot through the head. He was the life and soul of the company. He got up to creep a bit further. He'd just got up too far, and the sniper must have been waiting for him. Just the one man it was, but he'd taken two lives. Now, all these losses, any individual loss is, is painful, isn't it? But the battalion does manage to establish a firm line running along buildings that, that stretch along the railway line. And uh, 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 what did they do as, as each new area of housing is cleared? Well, they wire it off each night and, uh, and they patrol it to prevent ELAS infiltration. So stop them coming back. The battalion was also engaged in some hearts and minds operations as they cleared the streets of the insurgents. Food and medical supplies were sent up to be distributed among the Greek civilians. And uh, this is as Colonel Worrell later wrote in his report. Lessons learned from recent fighting. The soup kitchen may be a better weapon than the rifle. A great interest should be taken in the distribution of food. And it's interesting that a lot of the men 
say that once the Elas gorillas have been ejected from an area, the local population were a lot more friendly and welcoming. Um, on the other hand, I just want to point out, that, and they take it as that Elas weren't popular at all, but also the point is that that's the British were there now and they're not going to carry, you know, they're going to be careful about how they speak. We sometimes forget that we know we're lovable British soldiers, but the other side, the, you know, local civilian populations don't always know it, do they? No. Now, by this time, the bulk of 4th Division had arrived, which accelerated the process of taking control of Athens. On 3rd of January, the Durhams began operations in an industrial area on the outskirts of Athens. An attack was launched on a former Red Cross supply depot in an old factory held by Elas. It was a substantial building, about a quarter of a mile square with a wall round it. Wow, that is big. Uh, the operation didn't begin well for Les Thornton, and you're going to tell us what Company Sergeant Major Leslie Thornton of C Company said. Uh, I presume he was sober on this occasion. <laughs> he says this, Intelligence had been reported that about 60 of these ruffians were holed up in a factory area on the outskirts of Athens. We were ordered to go and sort them out. We had to attack before light, but unfortunately... <laughs> The lads have been doing a bit of drinking the night before. And when I got up, I expected to see the sergeants and men ready to move. There was nobody there. They'd slept in. The major was going off his head. And he said, we'll never get there now before light. We got them ready in double quick time. And off we set with our interpreter, a, a Greek interpreter, a student type of a lad. And he was frightened to death. We were dodging along paths and hedgerows and it started to get light. Now, in front of the factory, there was a great big open space. There was no cover at all. That's the reason we were supposed to have got there before light. We carried on and got to the factory wall. The Major went in, and fortunately, <coughs> they'd done the same as we had. They'd slept in. I was following the Major, and suddenly I was fired on by a machine gun with my two lads, and we had to dodge behind a column in the wall. We stayed there. We, we couldn't get out. The firing came from a very high tower in the factory. I said, this is no good. I bet he didn't. I bet he added some words. I took a running dive through the hole in the wall where we got through, dashed up the side of the road behind the wall, got a tank commander and said, you, you just see him off, will you? He put a round in his gun and blasted that chap up there. That was the end of him. We got them all out. Some of them had been shot. A sorry lot of dirty people, bearded, one with his jaw shattered with a bullet. We loaded them up into trucks ready for interrogation. Wow. Now, Les Thornton and his men were ordered further up the road to take another factory premise. Now, again, there was opposition that could have been dangerous, and Company Sergeant Major Leslie Thornton goes on. We were fired on. The bullets were coming straight down the road. We had to get to this factory across the road, so we had to jump across two at a time. As soon as there was a lull in the firing, where we thought the chap was changing his magazine, then I would send two men across. Now, there was this this man is interested in alcohol. Now, there's this cognac. I can't say that. Yes, I can. Cognac. Yeah. Factory with two great big doors. I was organising something, and one of the young officers, he really loves young officers, got hold of my Piat man and said, Fire your Piat and burst those doors open. He was inexperienced about Piat's. Uh, that's what, what does Piat stand for, oh, Gary? I don't know. Personal Infantry Anti-Tank Weapon. 
I have no idea, I'm guessing. <laughs> you were supposed to be undercover and fire a Piat because it has a terrible blast, a blowback. He fired this Piat at the doors. It hit the doors and finished up in hospital because he got the backlash. I had to tell the young officer a couple of home truths about the use of a Piat. That was that it was dangerous if not handled properly. <laughs> now, when um, they got inside... Like, did you used to like young officers when you were in the army? I still do. Now, when they got inside, they found something of great interest. Oh, doing all the possibly work. be me again. Once <laughs> more, you're going to tell us what Corporal Tommy Chadwick says. We took a factory that had barrels of booze. <laughs> we ran in and we were squirting the barrels with sten gun fire. Of course, the stuff was pouring out all over the place, so we were filling water bowls with it. <laughs> Within half an hour, we had about six men unconscious, so that put the mockers on it. <laughs> what a great expression, put the mockers on it. <laughs> but we kept our water bottles. <laughs> Word got back to Major Casey, and he banned it. All the drink we had in our water bottles was to be put in jerry cans and kept till the end of the war. Yeah, there's a bit of an after thing. Huh? What happened to that spirit? Well, later they found the raw spirit had burned its way through the jerry cans. What do you think it was doing to their stomachs? Yeah, exactly. Now, Elas resistance collapsed in Athens and the Durhams were optimistically hoping for a rest period. But the existence of several other pockets of Elas resistance meant what, that their ram, services ram were still required. Yeah. Now, on the 7th of January, they were dispatched, dispatched at short notice to deal with an Elas group based around Patras on the Peloponnese... Pelop- <laughs> Peloponnese. Peloponnese Peninsula. Now, the road route was impassable as the gorillas had blown up the bridge over the Corinth Canal. Naughty old gorillas. And they still controlled much of the route. Now, that meant that the 16th DLI and the 2nd 5th Leicesters were once more took to the high seas. Uh, uh, and most of them were wondering what was going to happen when they arrived at Patras because they were just on a boat. Uh, but... Uh, Major, sorry, Brigadier Alan Brock, he's got a cunning plan. And you're going to tell us from the perspective of Lieutenant Russell Collins' carrier platoon uh, what that plan was. The big question was what we were going to do because ELAS were in occupation. We'd arrived there in numbers, but we weren't deployed militarily. They weren't assault craft, just a cargo boat. We're all in there like so much luggage. When we arrived there, our brigadier brought off a tremendous psychological coup. Brigadier Block, who was a terrific man, went ashore, called for the local commander and issued an ultimatum that if they weren't out of the town of Patras by first light the next morning, they would have all hell knocked out of them by this great army of troops that were in these ships. He bluffed these chaps into getting out of Patras completely, so we just disembarked in a complete non-tactical way. We would have been helpless if they'd jolly well opened fire on us. Yeah, that reminds you of Gallipoli, where remember they loaded everything wrong and had to go to Alexandria to sort themselves out? Now, <clears throat> things seem to be reminding me of other things today. Now, um, so, uh, the minimal resistance, uh, and next day a general truce is announced with Elas across the whole of Greece. Uh, so it's lucky they didn't have a load of casualties landing because they were, it, this, war, the, this war was over. So what does Elas do? Uh, they withdraw back into agreed areas. Now, with peace established, the 16th DLI returned to Patras, where they stayed for a month. Yeah, they'd gone through. Sorry, I should have made that clear. They'd gone through Patras and started 
clearing the local countryside. That, that, that was unclear. Sorry, Gary, I've let you down, I've let myself down, and I've, most of all, I've left the listeners down. Now, patrols and detachments were sent out to various locations in the peninsula and the mountainous regions, but there was no trouble as the truce held. Now, this, this, uh, there's now a complete change of emphasis. Um, so they've gone from a situation where everybody seems to be at risk all the time from a faceless enemy. You're a faceless enemy. Uh, to a more relaxed existence, far more relaxed existence. Uh, so what do you think the average soldier starts to think about? Well, I think it's fair to say that drink and women were both of considerable interest to them. Were, you, were they of interest to you when you were a young soldier? No. And this is Private no, Ronald they were obsession, weren't they? <laughs> This is Private Ronald Elliott of A Company. The cafes were open and everything, and the brothel was there. There was a way to the brothel, which was over the roofs of the outhouses to this factory and then into the brothel. The girls used to be at the main windows of the brothel, which faced the factory windows. They were more or less face to face across an intervening distance of about 50 yards. The girls would be there with nothing on, just enticing the soldiery with ribald remarks. You can't, you couldn't go in the front because there were people guarding it. I never did. But one or two of the lads reckoned that there was a route over the outhouse rooftop so that you could get into the brothel by the back door. This route lay beneath the window of the officer's mess and this fella came back one night absolutely steaming and wet. When he'd been going past the officer's mess, one of the officers had pissed all over him from the window. It's it's nice to think that the Durham's officers are of such a social cachet that they piss out the window. And have you noticed, whenever anybody is talking about a brothel, they always say, oh, I didn't go in. But some of the lads... But somebody told me. Now, now, there's an essential truism that does not apply to you. Uh, the essential truism uh, was that, uh, what is it? Go on, what is the truism? And, and tell me why it doesn't apply to you. Well, no, this is Major Arthur Vizard, and we'll let him tell now us. Now I want you to tell me. <laughs> what is the truism? I don't know. Some of the best soldiers, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the troublemakers. Are the best soldiers, yes. Well, you were a troublemaker. And it didn't apply to me. You're going to tell us what Major Arthur Vizard, having ruined the quote, said. My chaps used to come back and they were the worst for wear and the provost used to throw them in the the truck and bring them back to the guard room. Next day they used to come in front of me and I nearly always found that the fellows who were the biggest offenders were the best soldiers. Yeah. Done wrong again. Now, meanwhile, the arrival of the rest of 46th Division was due and advance parties were received from the 138th Brigade. Ah, they take over Patras, don't they? Yeah. That whole area. Now, on the 11th of February, the 16th DLI returned to Athens to be based in Old Phaleron, where they soon settled in. Now, Arthur Vizard was really proud, if a little bit bemused, by the sheer malleability of his men to new circumstances. Now, we could hear from Major Arthur Vizard, or you could just ask me. Yeah, I want to ask you. No, this is what Major Arthur Vizard of Headquarters Company says. Looking back at all this, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is the adaptability of the British soldier. You can pick him up and put him down into a totally unfamiliar, alien atmosphere where he doesn't understand what people are talking about. He's highly suspicious of all the people around him. And they're hostile, or they're friendly, or they're in between. 
but within the space of a, the most 48 hours, he will have completely adapted himself to the new surroundings, like a chameleon. Before you know where you are, chickens appear, <laughs> eggs, tomatoes, melons, and so forth. Washing is being done by Greek women. The men are talking to them. How they do it, I don't know. But there is this tremendous ability to adapt. Were you able to adapt to foreign circumstances? I was very adaptive. Now, in Athens, the 16th DLI began to recommence proper military training with special company camps organised where there was weapons training, field firing and tactical exercises. Now, uh, that, that, well, that always worries people a bit when they have to start military training again. Uh, so what, what might be going through their mind? Well, what's going through their mind is what's going to happen next? Yeah, the, what, this, what new battles might lie ahead of yeah, it? Yeah, the Greek campaign's finished, so what the bloody hell's going on now? Uh, and, and, and soldiers, they're not human. If, if Do you think they wanted to go into action? No, no, they want to avoid going into action again. And this is Lieutenant Russell Collins of Carrier Platoon. All the talk and speculation was, where are we going next? We were hoping against hope that we were going to be selected to go to Northwest Europe to join the much more glamorous party that was going on there. We abhorred the thought of going back to Italy again, where we'd fought two previous campaigns and had left a lot of our dead. We envied the chaps that had all the glamour. In any case, it would mean going home first. It seemed to be a very much more straightforward show there altogether. But in the event, we were told we were going back to Italy. Everybody was depressed about it. It didn't do much to improve morale, and yeah, and he was a very brave and courageous soldier. Uh, do you think they had a choice? No, nope, they're in the army. There's no choice, no freedom of action. You so do off- what you're told, and you go where you're told to go. <coughs> so off they go back to Italy, and uh, we'll pick up on the the story of what happens there in the next thrilling episode of the 16th DLI at war, foot sloggers with the coughing historian. You'll be in your coffin soon. Cheers, Pete. Cheers, Gary. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or... Visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH, or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?